really good. As you know, God has been really, just my prayers are being consumed by prayer for the church. I've been praying for the church a lot, praying for you guys, praying for the church. Something in my heart God is doing concerning the body. And so, you know, I just want to understand this more. And so let's, let's, let's um, continue our study, and we're going to be talking about the church. And the, we've been in this topic of the goodness of the house. So, all right, let's Luke, read Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Havijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. All right, so you get, I've said it many times, you know, these are days of Herod. These are bad days, days of wicked rulers, days of wicked administrations, ungodly and godless administration, right? And, um, but in the midst of that, there is a priest named Zechariah and, and his wife Elizabeth, daughter, uh, daughter of Aaron, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advancing years. Zechariah and Elizabeth will become the instrument that God uses to bring forth the forerunner. Um, this instrument, forerunner, will prepare the way of the Lord. Um, he will be um, the last chapter before this great and awesome appearing of the Lord in his temple. So the forerunner has a, has a wonderful ministry. He's coming, and, um, but he's, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And so he was chosen, Zechariah, at this point. Um, um, it's probably reasonable to concede that this was his first, um, um, his first uh, service in this house because they had these rotations with 12 tribes. And, and so he was chosen for such a time as this. This old man um, who has no child was now chosen to come into the courts of the Lord and to come in to experience something that will then um, prepare him to bring John the Baptist. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for this word. We, we thank you, Lord, that in this word there's just great truths that, that are for us. Um, Paul says these things are written for our instruction. They are not just stories. They're not just history but they are instructions for us, instructions for faith and practice. And so I pray, Lord, that um, there are so many things that can be said, but today, Lord, you have saw fit for us to really maybe consider one aspect. And so you, may you give us an open ear Lord, and I pray that we would love the church. Oh, Lord, that we would love the church. Lord, do a great work, but you can, you, only you must do that, Lord. And I, I've been praying, Lord, continue to stir up the affections of your people. Continually stir them up for each other. Take us deeper than we've ever gone before in our love and devotion to you and to your house. And so we pr we're praying that to that end. We know that that's what you're building. We know that's what you're doing. And we want to come in the center of your work. 
Lord, we want to. We just want to. We're tired of doing our own thing, having our own dreams, our own ideas. We want to now come and pray. Let Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so come, Lord God, and speak to us, move us, fill us, Lord, and, and have a great Lord uh, just work this this afternoon. We pray in Your name, Amen. All right, we've been um, we've been looking at. What does it mean? What does it mean to enter the temple of the Lord? So we've been looking at this topic. Um, what does it mean? Um, these are realities that the Holy Spirit teaches us through the Bible, that, that there are these meanings, there are these significance that are, is imparted you know, to enter the temple of the Lord, to come into the course of the Lord. What does that mean practically for us? What does that mean spiritually for us? What does that mean? We know what it meant there. There was a physical temple. In Jerusalem, you know, um, so and he went in. So we know historically what it meant, but all of that, all of that historical thing is just really pointing to a greater reality, a greater truth. And so, so and these things were written for us. So, so uh, to enter the temple, uh, Zechariah was was called. He, he was chosen by God to enter the temple to have this encounter with God. It's very unique. Um, he belonged to, he, you know, he belonged to. The, to the seed of Abraham, he was he was from the tribe of Aaron. He was from the lineage of Aaron. So this is not a, this is not an issue of whether or not he belongs to Abraham or not, right? But the idea of being chosen to enter to the temple, it's I think something something extra, something that, that is given to God's people and particularly to the Levites in that context to enter in and experience something a little bit more to see the inside of the temple that not only only one tribe in Israel was able to see the inside of the temple, right? What tribe was that? The Levites, right? The other, the other tribes were, did not have access. I mean, they enjoyed the blessings of God. They, they entered into all of the, of the victories of God's people, right? All the other tribes, they experienced the goodness of the land. They experienced all that, but only one tribe. And I, I mean, that troubled me when I read that a long time ago. What do you mean? What's up with that, Lord? Why can't they all come in? And the Lord began to say, no, many are called. You are chosen. And I was like, they really, really caught my attention. Only one tribe out of 12 will be given access into the inner courts. And so the Levi would tell, yeah, man, they, 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 the, only the Levites can relate to the other tribes. Yeah, we, we, this happened. It was just the color of the curtains. Yeah, we saw this. Nobody else had access, only the Levites. Zechariah is a Levi. Zechariah. From the tribe of Aaron, and he's been able to give it great access. And so, this idea of entering entering the the um, the temple of the Lord, um, we we said from Psalm sixty five verse four. Let's re, let's read. Blessed is the one whom you choose, and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. I, I do believe that this is a promise, right? That, you know, this is a promise to God's people. It's not a promise to everyone. This is only a promise to God's people. That he will draw us near. That once we are his, his, now there goes forth an invitation to you and I to come closer. Right? There comes, there comes this glorious invitation from God. Having been saved, having been, like, sealed by the Holy Spirit, now... There's something more that the Lord wants you to see. 
right? There's something more that the Lord wants you to, he wants to, he wants you to grow. He wants you to see things you've never seen before. He wants, right? I mean, and the Lord, he just, he, there's more stuff. There's more that he wants you to know. Amen? So you, once you're saved, your, your journey has just, what? Begun. It's not the end. It's the beginning. Right? When is the first day of the Jewish calendar? Does anyone know? Anybody know the, the first day? The Passover. This is the beginning. Right? The first, right? First, first year. Right? So, you know, when we, come, we, when we come out of Egypt, that's just the beginning. But it's amazing how so many people settle. Like, oh, I'm out. Praise God. But you go into the wilderness. You don't go from Egypt to the temple. Uh-uh. You go from the wild. You go from Egypt to where? <laughs> you go from Egypt to the wilderness. You gotta, you gotta stop. It's not. There is no. There's no promised land yet. In a way, in a sense, he's just taking you out. Right? It's just these are real simple things to understand. They're not that complicated. It's the idea of progress. It's the idea of growing. God help people that go, oh, yeah, I, I'm saved. Why? Because uh, I grew up as a Christian. <laughs> what? No. It doesn't work like that. You got to keep moving. You got to keep progressing. And so you come out of Egypt. You know, I was reading something. I've been reading through the book of Kings. And that was just something, something caught my attention. In 1 Kings, maybe chapter 6, chapter 7. 480 years after the children of Israel children of Israel left Egypt, Solomon began to build the temple. That's interesting. 480 years, it's like 480, 83, something. And I, it just caught my attention. Wow. 480 years from the moment that they left Egypt to the moment that the temple began to be built. God is not in a rush, right? I'm like... Lord, I mean, can we do this in a, in a three-week time frame? You know, <laughs> it's like, he's not in a rush. And part of it is, you know, the 40 years of, like, <laughs> wasted in the wilderness, right? So, but, but it's all part of God's plan. But it's just, it just caught my attention that there's this length of period that goes. There was a lot of history in between, but the temple had not been built. And you wonder sometimes, Christians, that go, they come out of Egypt. And they've never entered the temple. And they've never encountered something, just the reality of Christ and the beauty of God in a more profound way than just, I'm out of Egypt. Right? Does that make sense? Something more profound, more, something more deep than just, I'm, I'm saved. Sometimes it takes years. I remember, I remember reading a, 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 a man that I really had a lot of respect for. And he said, he was preaching for so many years. And then he said when he was 65, 60 something years old, he came into a greater revelation of Jesus Christ. And he said that was really the first time. He was so gripped by what he had encountered at the, after preaching for 40 years. He became one of my favorite writers because 
his teachings about Christ was just so wonderful. And he said, I look, over, I look back over 40 years of preaching, and it was good. But I had not seen Christ the way I've seen him now. It's almost like I, I pressed through. I Finally, after 40 years, I entered the temple. Amen? That, that, could, that really does happen. That you really, you really, I can look back at my own life and say, yeah, what was I doing the first, like, five, ten years? Yeah. That God wants us to increase greater understanding of who Christ is and the glory of God in greater and increasing dimension. Amen? And, and so, so, so this idea that we just stay stagnant and we just, that's not biblical. We ought to be pressing on to know the Lord more. Amen? And, and it came time for Zechariah to press on by the sovereign grace of God. He was chosen to enter. Amen? And I believe God is calling some of you to come deeper. Amen? What does it mean? It means that he's going to be satisfied with the goodness. He's going to encounter something of the house of God that is going to be vital for him if he's going to be someone who's going to bear, right? He has to, you got to know something about the house of God. It's just not enough to know that you've been saved from your sins and that you're not, your name is written in the book of life and I'm going to heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. No, you got to know the house. You come into the house, you got to see something about the heart of God with respect to his house. Amen? And so, so, so all I believe that all true ministry always flows out of a heart that has been touched by the temple. Amen? You know, you, you, you can see it. You can even sometimes hear in people preaching, oh, this guy has not entered the temple. He hasn't entered it. And so Zechariah had to experience something of the, of the goodness of the house. Amen? He had to be satisfied of the goodness of the house so that he can proclaim, he can have his faith strengthened so that we can tell others, right? If you, don't, if you have not been satisfied with the goodness of the house, you will not tell people about Jesus. You just won't. Why would you tell something that you're not yourself satisfied? But if you've been thoroughly satisfied with the goodness of the house, it's only natural that when you're satisfied with the goodness of the house, you're full with love. And, and love just wants to tell others. Amen. So this is what I'm after, this goodness of the house of God. And now we said that this word house in Psalm 65, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your household. That word house is not the place. It is people. It is the goodness of God's people that is in view. I'm going to be satisfied with the goodness of God's people. God's people will become instruments of the goodness of God. God's people will mediate, right, will mediate the goodness of God to each other. Amen? So th there's this wonderful reality, and then we say, well, how is the primary way that we, that we experience this goodness of the house? How, how do we experience that? And we said that the primary way that we experience the goodness of the house is through words. And let's go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It does not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing 
and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. All of that because of God's word. God's word is the source of all goodness. But when we become, when we we become truly born again by the spirit of God, that we are born by the word. And then that word, in a, in a real way, almost incarnates in us again, right? Through the spirit of Christ. So now you have, by the spirit of God, not by your wisdom, not by your cleverness, you know, by the spirit of God, you have access to the word of God that will now begin to bless people and water the earth. Amen? And make it bring forth fruit. You and me, by the spirit of God, by the spirit of God, we have access to this great word of God. He's, he's part, he has imparted to us his word so that we can become the goodness of the house to each other. Amen? We saw different characteristics of that word. We saw it's the rain and the snow. It's like the rain and the snow. It's like the rain and the snow that comes down. It's like the rain and the snow that comes down from heaven. And then we landed, very importantly, and funny, funny that the Lord has me in this passage. I did not think I would be here for three weeks. But there's something about this that the Lord is after. I don't know what it is. The Lord says in Isaiah 55, my word is like the rain and snow that comes down from heaven and do not return. And the Lord is saying something. I'm not sure exactly why. I'm just kind of being obedient. But he's got something. There's something that he does not return. It does not return. His word, it comes down steadily. It, it, like I said, reaches terminal velocity. It doesn't turn around in the middle, in the middle of the air. It says, I'm done with this. You know, I, I'm going back to heaven. It comes down, lands on the earth. And, and the Lord's just been, um, you know, just really drilling something in here. God's word is characterized by a fierce resolve, a constant commitment, and a lasting endurance. So if we're going to experience the goodness of this house, we must begin to cultivate a sincere commitment of heart to the Lord. A sincere commitment to the, of heart that does not return. You know, the idea of not returning, not going back. You understand? Right? You start something and then you go back. Right? You start something and go back. And, I, and, I, and I, there's something about that that the Lord wants to change in us. There's something about our word, our something we're going to be talking about that today. That we just return. And it hinders the goodness of the God in the house because we, our word is just not our bond anymore. We just say things and we, we don't mean what we say. We, we say what we don't mean. It's just, and so I want to encourage you. And I, this, this is landing first for me, secondly to you. <laughs> so if I, felt, if I feel upset, I'm upset with myself. <laughs> but, but there's something God is after because we've been praying about the goodness of the house. And I believe the Lord wants to deal with this. Our words. He wants to deal with something that I think we just take it for granted. And the Lord has to elevate in us a, 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 something a little bit more. Of what, when we say things, what are we, what are we saying? What, are we, you know, what, what is it? So first of all, it was a sincere commitment. And then secondly, if we're going to experience the, the goodness, we must begin to cultivate consistent integrity in our words. Word, the word of the Lord is like the rain that comes down and does not return. It fulfills its mission. And we looked at um, 
We looked at this um, in Second Corinthians chapter one, verses seventeen and eighteen, and Paul addresses this. And this is the way he addresses it in the in the Corinthians church. Was I vacillating? Was I going back and forth when I wanted to do this? He's dealing with this issue. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? This idea of, 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 you know, of a divided heart, right? But as God, surely, surely as God is faithful, our word to you, man, what a, Paul, can we say that to each other? As God is my faithful witness, my word to you has not been yes and no. Right? This idea that, that Paul can actually, uh, can actually appeal to God just not, you know, oftentimes not, not, not encouraged, you know, let your yes be yes, you know, we know, right? Right, but, but, but he appeals to God. He said, look, God is my, is, as God is faithful, my word to you has been, not been yes and no, has not been, you know, kind of both. And so we're kind of dealing with this, and we said, what does it mean? What does this yes and no mean? We, we said last week, and we'll, that this refers to a double-minded person from James 1, 6 and 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven to and fro by the wind. For that person must not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded. In the Greek, it's two minds. Two minds. Can't make it up. Right? Two-minded. You ever, you ever been plagued by two minds? Oh, right? It's like, ah, oh, Right? You know, it's like, oh, Lord, you know, two things, right? Two minds. Two minds. And the Lord wants us to have one mind. Amen? So it, it, it really, this yes and no really speaks to double-mindedness. But secondly, and now I'll go into our, our message for today. Not only does it appeal, um, not only does it really speak to this double-mindedness, refers to a double-minded person, but secondly, yes and no refers to a fickle person. Fickle. So we're going to talk about fickleness. You know, another way that our word returns is by being fickle. What do we mean by fickle? Likely to change, not constant or loyal in affection. I mean, I think you have, um, you have to just refresh that screen image. Does it, does it work? Does that work? Not, not constant um, in, or loyal in affections. Now, so we're going to look at this, you know, this idea of being double-minded. But I believe God is after this fickleness, fickle, being fickle, being given to change. Um, God is after something here. Paul says, our word to you has not been yes and no. Now, in this case, notice the order. Notice the order. Abby, you can put up the scripture from 2 Corinthians 1, 7, um, 18, verse 18. Our word to you has not been yes and no. Now, it's important to, you know, as you're looking through, the, trying to figure out what did Paul have in mind, you could say, you know, this is not, you know, uh, nothing really huge, but you could say yes comes first and then no. There's an order 
He doesn't say, my word to you has not been no and yes. He says, our word to you has not been yes and no. And I was thinking about that order. You know, first yes, then no. First yes, followed by no. Paul says we did not commit, say yes to do something, and then suddenly retract my commitment to you. Paul said, we did not do that to you. We, did, we, didn't, we didn't appear as if to be all, yeah, you're, you're a big supporter, but then at the end when push came to shove, you know, um, something else came by. Right? This idea of yes, no. What is he saying? This, you know, this refers to a fickle person, a person that, um, who, who makes a commitment but fails to follow through. And this can happen in all kinds of ways, right? It's not just, you know, commitment to I'm going to be there or whatever. It could be all kinds of ways that we can, we, can, we can say yes, we can appear to say yes, we can appear to give support, we can appear to do this, but then there's a no. There, it just doesn't happen. It just is, you don't follow through. Look at Matthew 21, verse 30. Matthew 21, verse 30. Jesus speaks about a person just like this. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but what? What? But did not go. This idea, I think this happens a lot in the house of God. Especially among those who want to do it, right? You know, there's always, you know, there are those that just don't want to say no all the time. <laughs> That's not dealing with this kind of person. You know, there are people that just like, they don't want to be, they don't want to serve God, they don't want to do nothing. That's not, that's not what Paul's addressing. Paul's addressing someone who appears to show a level of commitment, a level of, I, I want to help out, I want to do this. I, I, and, but then, for whatever reason, it doesn't come through. Right? I think, that they, I think all of us have had moments like that. All of us are guilty of this, doing this, right? Uh, we, want it, we want something, but we can't. But somehow, when we said yes, how many times you have said yes, but you realize, oh, man, I really don't want to do this. So there are people like that, and, and the church is full of people like that. Um, and this is one of the great places, I believe, in the modern church, appearance having a form of godliness, right, but denying the power, the power to fulfill what's been, right, have a form, we present forms, good, but something is lacking. And so I, I believe that God wants to get at something in our lives, in all of our, my life, in your life. You know, people who turn back at the very hour responsibility, commitment, and especially to each other, right, they do not take the commitments very serious. That these people develop history of being unreliable, oftentimes unpredictable. Now, I, I, you know, in the, in the course of meditating on all this, a few things have happened during the week that have made me think about what I'm studying and to see the connection. I just found out this week that Bill Maher. Some of you might know Bill Maher. He's a TV, um, uh, very radical, uh, liberal TV host, and he got COVID. And I just happen, you know, sometimes you, you read things and you know God is in it. You know, you read, I know why, I know why I'm reading this, Lord. I know why I'm reading this. He got COVID. He missed his first show since 1993. And I felt like the Lord say, 
that's like the rain and the snow that don't ever turn. I was, I was struck by that. Did not miss a show until now because of his COVID since 1993. Isn't that impressive? Come on, after the flash, I mean, that's impressive. Was he sick at some, some of those days? I, I bet so. He's human. Did he have problems, family problems? I assume so. He's human. But his utter commitment to his show, man, I, I, I stood there and I, I, I saluted him. I said, wow, this is impressive. If the church was like that, right? With that kind of commitment to each other. Right? Isn't it impressive? If I would like that, this utter commitment to God, to his people, he's, he's so committed to something that is like foolish. In fact, horribly foolish. He's so committed to that, and yet we have the kingdom of God. Amen? So, but I wanted to look at what is it, you know, I, I wanted to understand more about, Lord, you know, what are you saying here? Why is there fickleness? Why do we don't commit to each other? Why do we, you know, and this is progressive. Nobody here will ever do it perfectly. So forget about that. But I do believe God wants to increase in us a love because only by the power of God's love where we become more sensitive, more aware of how we speak to one another. And, Lord, am I committed to this person? To, you know, Lord, am I, where is my level of commitment? Where is my, am I constantly returning? Am I, am I giving promises to people and then just turning around and just letting them hang? You know, um, I mean, I, I had a situation happen to me not too long ago where a guy, told me he was going to install uh, the minuscule that we got for the church. He gave me a good price. I'm like, you got it. We got the mini split in. It's all back there wrapped up in, in bubble wrap still. <laughs> and I've called this guy, texted him like a thousand times, nothing. That hurts. You know, that's like, man, what happened? Made the commitment, yes, I'll do it, yes, I'll do it. But not even like, I always tell people, hey, I'm very busy. I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to help you for now, so I encourage you to get someone else. Bingo. Beautiful. Amen? Not that hard, right? Not that hard to do that. But this idea that we just hold each other very loosely and we just don't, you know, there's no accountability, nothing, we just... We, I, I don't want, I, I, when he did that to me, I said, Lord, have I done that to somebody? Because sometimes when it's happening to you, maybe because I did it to somebody, right? And I started examining my tenants. I said, oh, God, Mick, Mick, you know what's his name? Miguel. I'm like, oh, God. Let me unblock it. <laughs> you know, every landlord has like one tenant, you know what I'm saying? Every family, is, that's their uncle, you know but, but I, seriously, I started thinking about how I've been treating people. I, I, I said, wait a minute. Have I, have I just, like, let people text at me, and I just, like, blew it off? You know? 
The Lord is calling us to like integrity of word, integrity as a people of God. I believe that he's calling us to that. But I started to ask, what is the source of this fickleness of character? What is something that could explain why we may commit and then back out of our commitment? I want to understand why does that happen? If I just ask the Lord, why does that happen? What causes that? I was telling the guys yesterday, you know, over the last several months, I've had a number of people come up to me, come to church, and say, oh, brother, it's so good to be here. I'm, you're going to be seeing me from now on. As I'm studying all this, right? <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. Oh, I'm, I, it's really weird. It has happened like maybe five times in the last like three months. You are really going to see me now. You know? I mean, Carl said that to me. He's here today. Right? But there were others that, that um, right? There are others that I'm like, oh. That lasted 30 seconds. <laughs> but just the idea that we don't even think twice. What made a person say, like, with tears in their eyes, all emotionally, like, just, uh, like, intoxicated. Oh, it's not like they say, well, you're going to see me from now on. No, it's, it's got to be, oh, you're going to really shame me from this part. Yeah, I mean, the ex, just extra. I'm like, I'm like, like you could have toned it down. And said, you're going to see me now. But you didn't need all the, yeah. oh, oh. But, but then to end up nothing. <laughs> but that's a flaw in our character. Let's be honest. That's a mirror of you and I. That's a mirror of me. And I feel like the Lord is dealing with this stuff. And I feel if we're going to experience the goodness of the house, we have to up our game with God's grace and help. We have to take our words seriously. We got to try, you know, and it's not easy. Sometimes you're tired and you're like, you know, and you're going to fail. You're gonna, you and I are going to fail 100 times. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, right? Because we, you know, you're not going to be able to do it. So don't be under condemnation whatsoever. We're going to fail. We're going to like, we're not, but, but I believe because I believe we're praying for this. We want to experience the goodness of the house. We want to see revival. We want to see true, authentic love. Amen? Between one another. That we can't, we can't wait to see each other. Amen? Why not? Why not? Why can't it be like that? Why does it have to be like, I'm going to church, I'm leaving, I'm going to go to lunch, you know, you know, check in, check out. Why does it have to be that way? No, it doesn't have to be that way. God is, his love is eternal, magnificent, and according to Romans, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, right? So we can dream about, you know what, we can, we can really love each other. With God, all things are possible. Amen? We can really care for one another. That's why I'm glad that our church is not big. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy this is what I have. And this is enough, trust me. <laughs> but, you know, because we can cultivate love. We can, we can look at each other. We can know each other's names. I would hate to be in a church when I don't, I know, I don't know 30% of the group. That's, God never intended that. God intended the depth of family and love that we could die, live and die together. Amen? I believe that with all my heart because that's what we're going to have in heaven. 
intimate communion with the Lord and with each other. No pretense, no hypocrisy, none of that. Truth and love flowing. Amen? So I long for that. And I, get, I get little glimpses here and there. Every time I get a glimpse, I go to pray. I say, Lord, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Deepen our love for each other. Tear down the pride that keeps us. How you doing? Good. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, come on. <laughs> Release it. Just, you know, let it wiggle a little bit. Grab a hug, you know, kiss in, in the name of the Lord, right? <laughs> man to man, one to one. You know, just <laughs> but, you know, say, but the idea that greet one another with a holy kiss, do you know that's in the Bible? <gasps> the kind of affection that God's people were supposed to bear with one another. Deep, fantastic affection. And yet, it's so, isn't it so sad? Come on. Sad. Breaks our heart. Walls. Sometimes they're for good reason. It takes time. You're not going to build those walls easily. But we can learn to love each other. But we got to begin with our words. This idea of commitment. This idea of, like, oh, i, I got to speak to you. And so I was asking that question. Where does this come from? And um, something in the word that I, that I began to study in 2 Corinthians Vacillating. Well, let me let me anchor myself in the scripture. Try to see what the, what is the cause of a vacillating character or spirit. Well, first, defined by behavior that is characterized by sudden, unaccountable change of mood. It, it communicates the idea of fickleness and frivolity. The trait of being not serious in speech attitude or behavior a lack a levity a lack of seriousness and I felt the Lord really began to um, people are fickle they they there's a lack of a fundamental lack of seriousness they, so that's why you know they vacillate in their commitments their commitments are not something serious at the end of the day. You know, there, there's um, Psalm 94, 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Psalm 94, 11. You got that, Abby? Psalm 94, 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a The word there, breath, is, um, it, it's a, is a word um, that is actually used for vanity. You know, if you go to Ecclesiastic 1-2, um, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. What is the term there? The Hebrew word there is a mist, vapor, breath, something light, not heavy. It's just something very... Something that is um, uh, this describes something that has little weight, something that is fleeting or elusive. Something that just it's just not not really not a lot of substance. It's light. It's like breath. Breath is as as light as it gets, right? If you think about breath, how much does that weigh? It doesn't have. Can you weigh breath? 
Probably not. It's just light. That's the idea. Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but they're light. They're, they're not heavy. Man is a frivolous person by his unfallen, unfallen nature. He's, he's not, doesn't take things seriously. Everything is, everything is nothing's weighty. And that, it's understandable why they are like that by nature. But the child of God should not be like that. The child of God should have weight. Fickle people live with little weight in their thoughts. They never consider things that are weighty. They're uncomfortable with serious things. A commitment is, tends to be on the serious side of things, right? When you have a commitment, it, you know, it takes a little bit more of, a, of, of, of attention, takes a little bit more. It's something serious. That just, if you don't take your commitment serious, then, I mean, you're going to just fail, right? So commitments tend to be on the serious side of things. And, and this, this little weight to life, little weight, everything is, is fun and games. They're intimidated, uncomfortable with serious things. They're much comfortable when things are not so serious, right? They're not so serious. They are unable to sustain any serious conversation for an extended period of time. You know, have you ever known people like that? I have, actually. I have, I have known people like that. You know, they're, they're, they're just light. Life is light, so their commitments are just, you know, just, they're just not there. They're not fully cooked. Now, let me ask you something. Out of all the things that God has made and ordained, what demands the most seriousness? You, you can just think about that. Out of all that God has made and ordained, which one demands the most seriousness? It's a good question, though. What requires that we be not have, have levity? Now, in order to answer that question, I got to give you a little teaching here. Because I, I can give you the answer, but I, I want to give you how I got to the, the answer. That's not that complicated. So you, you'll, many of you will be like, oh, yeah, of course. But it's not complicated. But it's a, it's a what in life? demands the most seriousness out of you and me. Parents, family, job. There are a lot of things that we have to take serious, right? You have to take your job serious. You have to take your family serious. Right? There are a lot of things you, there are a lot of things you have to take serious. But I don't want, the question I'm asking is, well, what is the most serious out of them all? I want to know that. But let me, let, me, let me give you a little teaching here on something that's very important that you, you need to know. Some of you may not know this. Some of you, um, and I'm just going to be faithful to the scriptures. This is God put this in my heart yesterday. But I want you to know, you should know this. You should know that in life there are two spheres, two areas. You should know that. Um, but some of you have, are just beginning now to walk with the Lord. And now you're not going to learn this from the world. You learn this from the scriptures. There are two spheres you need to be aware of. Very, very, very important. You have to be aware of those spheres almost all the time if you're a believer. In fact, all the time. You have to be aware of these two spheres. Let's go to Leviticus 10.10. 10. 
You are to distinguish between the holy and the common. These two spheres are extremely important for you to know. The holy and the common. All that is in life is either one or the other. There aren't things that are common that are holy, and there aren't things that are holy that are common. There's a clear separation. Right? So, so, so th this is just, again, just help us understand when we consider all, all of life, you have what is holy, whatever that is. I haven't told you what that is. And then there is what is common, whatever that is. But at least we have two categories, right? Following me? You got two categories, holy, common. The King James uses profane. Don't like that word too much because I think to, profane comes with maybe some other ideas. It's common. First of all, there exists the sphere of the holy. And there is these two spheres. If God is telling us that you need to know this, you need to know the difference, it's because they exist, right? He's not just telling you something that doesn't exist. He's telling you that we have to distinguish this. First is the sphere of the holy. What is the sphere of the holy? The sphere of the holy refers to those things that have been set apart for God's exclusive use. It's not complicated. Don't start thinking, oh, my hammer is my hammer, my plier is my plier. <laughs> Stop thinking like that. Just, just, just accept the principle. The idea, what is holy? What, what is holy, generally speaking, is those things that have been set apart for God's exclusive use. Right? That's not that complicated. They, these things are fitting for the worship of God. These things are what another word that is used is sacred. That's just another word. Maybe in the old times they would use that word more. Um, th this sphere, notice, notice that um, um, in Leviticus, which sphere comes first? Which one? Holy comes first. That's not an accident. That sphere has priority. It has priority. First holy. If you try to go the other way around, you're going to make a mess. It's not possible to know the other way around. You begin with what is holy. You begin with understanding what has been set apart and it has priorities. So this one has priority. And it has priorities for several reasons. It has priority because God has priority over all things. If, it, if, it's, if it's exclusive, like set apart for God, well, there you have it. <laughs> God has priority. Amen? You don't have to debate that. He's higher than all of us. He's higher than the universe. He's higher than everybody. He's first. He's the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, right? So he has priority. So not very complicated. The holy has priority because God has priority. Secondly, it has priority because um, not being able to distinguish this sphere is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous, right? Um, and not, I, could, I could tell you, Illustration from the Bible, but I'm not going to go there. I don't want to go to another rabbit trail, but it's extremely, you've got to know holy, otherwise it's extremely dangerous. Um, but here's the third reason why it has priority. It has priority because it enables you. It gives you what you need 
to, to even recognize what is common. Does that make sense? If you don't know the holy, you won't know the common. You won't be you just everything will be just all one big mumbo jumbo. What what is the common? What does the common re refers to? The common refers to everything else. <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't have to get too complicated, right? I, I could give you some oh, you know, not fitting for this. You know, you got that which is that which is exclusively um, right, set apart for God, and then you have what do you have? Everything else. <laughs> it's not complicated, right? The issue here is recognizing that which is exclusively God's. Right? And um, what you know, what is common refers to, but you know, let me give you a little bit of more of a nuance to what is common. It's not just everything else, but there's something else. It may have been implied or not, but I want to make it explicit now. Is everything else that is not fitting for worship of God. Does that make sense? So, yes, everything else, but in that everything else, it's not fitting for the worship of God. Right? So, just a nuance that is important. Now, the reason I'm taking this time out because I don't think I've done a good job. I've failed the scriptures because, according to the scriptures, it is one of the primary responsibility of the Levites to teach you the difference between those two pieces. And as I was saying that, I said, Lord, I've not done a good job. I've not done it. And that's why I'm taking, I'm trying to make up from the error of my ways. I've done it implicitly. I don't think I've done it explicitly. Look at Ezekiel 44, 23. Ezekiel 44, 23. Concerning the Levites, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. It's amazing. We live in a world of theological explosion. This is missing. Like, big time. Do people know? Can people explain? I, they can explain, you know, the, the incarnation, the trinity, the attributes of God. Very good. You should know that, too. Not, not putting that down. We, we can look the redemptive historical, like, Trajectories of the Bible, fantastic. But have we taught the people the difference between what is holy and what is common? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think we've really, I remember hearing hear an evangelist in Europe, and I, I just saluted him. I'm like, wow, praise God. He would go out, this is uh, in Europe, during World War II, and there was, like, people getting saved by the bucket loads. And he was um, going out, preaching, and they would have services, I mean, three, four times a day. And people were coming. But, you know, so you have all these hundreds, hundreds of people were just being saved. I was like, book of Leviticus. <laughs> How about the book of John, you know? 
a nice John. You know, it's like, you know, like the book of Leviticus. That was their intro new believers class. And he said the reason he wanted to weed out is because we need, he did two things. Want to read out, he wanted to weed out the deadwood. But also begin to teach them. You're, you're worshiping a holy God. That, does, that, does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Like we just take it for granted. Oh, Jesus, high five. <laughs> you know, and like, whoa, 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 take a seat, son. <laughs> let me tell you how to do this. First of all, uh, let, let's put this up. <laughs> like, you know, like, like we just walk in, you know, like, like, like it's, he's like our, no, he's holy. He is holy. And we take him for granted. The way we treat, I mean, we're going to get to that, treat each other. It's not so much the each other part, it's God. Right? So, so, so it's like, we, 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 you know, there's no fear of God in the land no more. There's no reverence anymore, right? And we need to recover this by the God's grace. I, I know that we've all been affected, but we need to recover this, and we need to teach the people the difference between the holy and the common. That there is this idea that, 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 that you, we need to make a distinguish. You should have in your mind, I mean, if you don't study the scripture this week, and say, Lord, teach me, what is this? Am I, am, I, am I not handling, am I not managing things the way they, I, they should? They shall teach the, my people the difference between the holy and the common. And, they sh and show them how to distinguish between the clean and unclean, right? So I, I, I confess, I don't think I've done a good job. They are given this, they're re, um, they're given this responsibility for the protection of God's people. Why? Because failing to make a distinction between what is holy and common profane his name. Look, look at um, look at um, uh, Ezekiel twenty-two verses twenty-six. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profane among them. What's the danger of not knowing the difference? We, what? He tells us they have profaned, I am profane among them. Amen? If it's there in the scripture, it's because it's there because God is instructing us, right? This is a blessing for us. This is not just a warning. This is God teaching us. Amen? Teaching us that, okay, we, we have to take our relationship with God serious. And, um, you know, so, and when we fail, when, when we fail to, to make a distinction between what is holy and what is common, and I, I see that all the time, and my heart breaks for, oh, man, I, I read things, and I immediately know because of this principle, I immediately distinction, perfect example. Don't ever do this. Trust me. Don't ever do this. Don't go to American Idol and sing a song of praise. Don't do it. That's God. Right? Let the dead bury the dead. 
the worship of God is not to be marketed in any kind of way for the, for my, so I can get my records, right? Don't do that. People say, oh, man, you're, you're so legalistic. Well, no, I'm not. I'm trying to teach you. Don't mix. Don't mix it. And you see people, oh, praise the Lord. So-and-so went to American Idol, and I'm crying. I'm like, oh, God. Don't do it. But you have to learn this. Don't take my word for it. Study the scriptures. But we need to, when we fail to make distinction from what is common, it provokes God's judgment. Look, look in, in that same chapter, Ezekiel 22, verses 30 and 31. I saw for a man among them who, who would build up the wall, stand up in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy, but I found none. Therefore, I poured out my indignation upon them. So it brings judgment. In other words, the things that are the most serious things, so you can answer the question, what are the things that demand the most seriousness? Which one are they? The things that are? All right. Not, I told you I told you, you would get it. It's not complicated. What demands? My, I got my family. I got my job. All that requires seriousness, very, a lot of seriousness. But the things that are holy demand the what? The most seriousness. Of, it, it demands a seriousness of my heart. The things that are holy. That, right? I mean, right? Is, is that a, now we got something? The things that are most holy, that's why a fickle person, a person that is light of spirit, oh, you don't want to be light of spirit in this realm. You don't want to be light and levitous and frivolous in the realm of what is holy. Oh, oh, no. There's got to be a seriousness. Right? That's got to be something. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about sobering, Lord willing, next week. I have to throw, throw that in there because sometimes I don't know where we're going. But Lord willing, we'll talk about sobering. This is God we're talking about. Amen? And so, so the most holy things, right, demand the most seriousness. It's not complicated. But I, that doesn't answer the question. That doesn't satisfy me yet. I have another question for you. I get it. I get it as an abstract idea that the most holy things demand the most seriousness. But that does not satisfy my question because Emmanuel, unfortunately, needs a little bit more information, a little more detail. What's the question I'm going to ask? Yeah, she's only that now. Where can, where does this holy thing exist? I got to know that, right? It's not enough for me to say, like, yeah, praise the Lord. What is it? I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just like, like, no, 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 no. We, 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 we got to drill down. We, we haven't arrived yet. I just told you in general that the things that are holy, well, what are the things that are holy? Where does holy exist? Where is that? Because I want to know if it's 12th and 2, okay? And I'm going to walk around 12th and chew, you know. And I, I need to know. Do you, do you want to know? I want to know. Do you want to know? Some of you want to know. <laughs> Some of you are like, whatever. <laughs> I want to know. In fact, I want to know this more. 
Where exactly does the, the sphere of the holy exist? This is very, very important. The, the sphere of the holy is contained all in one place. Let's go to Ezekiel 43, 12. You got to know this just so that you can. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain. The climax. <laughs> it's like, Right? This, and then to repeat, behold, pay attention. Please consider deeply what I'm telling you. Behold, this is the law of the temple. It is most holy. <laughs> I mean, you said, like, do you know do you, why? Why am I consumed for the with zeal for the house of God? Why was Jesus consumed? with zeal for the house of God. He understood that law. It is most holy. Not only, is it, well, you could, you could, I don't know what's in your mind. Maybe you have a halo. <laughs> I, I don't know. Let me put it to you in more. It is the thing, if I can use that word, I, I really can't, but the thing that is most set apart for God. Does that make sense? Not just holy. Sometimes that could, that could like, if you're Catholic, you have all these, like, <laughs> it is the temple. It is the thing that is most set apart for God. There's nothing more set apart from God for God than the temple. Is that, is that crazy? That is crazy. Is the temple elevating in your mind? This temple, this house, is most, out of all that God has created, right? He's created many things, galaxies, suns, solar systems, out of all that. There is one he has chosen that will contain there is not an inch of holiness outside of the temple. All of it is contained within the boundaries of what is constituted his temple. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on us. <laughs> right? Amen? Literally the most holy place, right? You guys, you guys should be familiar with that term from the tabernacle. Where was the most holy place? In the, in the temple. Look at 1 Kings 6.16. 6, you ever read that? Why is it most holy place? Well, <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you. This is the thing that is most set apart for God's exclusive use. The temple. 
don't know about you, but I get excited because I'm starting to tap into the thoughts of God. This is his intent. He designed it. He he's ordained this. It's not by accident. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls and built this within as an inner sanctuary as the most holy place. Ezekiel 41.4. And he measured the length of the room. Ezekiel's vision is after 1 Kings. Obviously 1 Kings, but Ezekiel now is seeing something. And he measured the length of the room, 20 cubits, and his breadth, 20 cubits across the night. And he said to me, this is the most holy place. The temple. What demands the most seriousness? The things that are holy. The things that are most holy exist where? Therefore, the thing that, de that demands the most seriousness is what? The temple. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that causing you to say, okay, of course, I'm held accountable because I get this. Some of you may be still working. I get it, but that's what makes me scared. Right? Because, okay, Lord, teach me how to, right? Teach me this. Let me just put it straight. I'm not, I'm not going to go into a, a whole theological discussion of the temple. Because the next question is, what is the temple? <laughs> you guys got to learn to ask these questions because otherwise you don't have anything. Like, you, can just, you still have an abstract idea. But let me just give it to you. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, 1 Corinthians 3.16. That's already together. Do you not know that are you are you are it hit home, huh? <laughs> no more abstract idea. In some ways, I wish it was still abstract. <laughs> right? There's a part that, that gets you a little scared if you if, if you right. You are God's temple. Only possible because of your union in Christ, who is the climactic temple, right? But we are part of his body. Amen? I'm trying to elevate to you the meaning of what we're doing right here. The meaning of when we talk to each other on the phone. The meaning of when we text each other. This is tremendously holy. We can't just, you know, whatever, right? We, but it starts with an understanding of who we are. It comes from an understanding of what are God's purposes, eternal purposes. What is the most important thing in God's heart? What is the most holy thing? What is he really doing? What is he really after, right? We're tired of just getting to know stuff. Who wants to, well, good. You, you know, what do they say? Um, Knowledge of all, jack of all trades, and whatever, what is it? And a master of none, right? We become that theologically. We're a master of none. We just got a lot of theological information. But, but we want to know what is it that God is after? What is he doing? What is the passion of his heart? His house. 
There's nothing more serious and weightier than God's people. I know it's, it's going to take time to, to, make, to adjust. And not, this is not, does not apply to those who don't, do not belong to Christ, right? So, no, so we're, not, we're talking about within the house of God, there's nothing more serious, more weightier than God's people because of the spirit of God in them. The weight of God's people means that we must be taught how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. Look at, look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you. So he's writing the book of Timothy. I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is or who is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. When you, who's the household of God again? We are, I'm, I'm constantly saying that because we, I think the enemy constantly says like, oh yeah, that's right, the household of God, you know, you know, and we, it's out there and I'm here. No, it's you, it's me. We are the church of the living God. We are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Does that, does that, does that raise in your heart? Man, Lord, I want to walk according to the, the majesty of this great calling. That, do you see why Paul says walk according, right, to, to, to the calling of God that you've received? Do you, now do you get it? Paul understands that you have been called with a great calling, worthy of, of, of a great calling. Do you know that we cannot treat all people the same? Did you, did you know that? You cannot treat all people the same. Amen? There's a lot of emphasis on equality nowadays. <laughs> I saw a picture of this equality when he cut the legs off. <laughs> that's, that's a good picture. Yeah? But we can't treat everybody the same. Sorry, I got a word for you. Look at Galatians chapter 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, absolutely do good to everyone, but especially to those who are what? Of the household of faith. In other words, your relational game, take it up a notch with the people of God. Right? When God's people, you go be way beyond what you treat your neighbor especially to those who are of the house of the faith. Amen? Look at, look at Jesus, our dealings with each other. Jesus deals with it in Luke 17, 1 through 4. Luke 17, 1 through 4. And he said to his disciples, temptations of, of sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they came. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were, he were cast into the sea and that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. That's what I'm trying to do. As I'm talking to people, I'm trying to really guard. How am I dealing with them? Being, being more aware of the words I'm speaking. Being more aware of, like, how can I encourage them? I cannot treat them. Like any other person, I got to treat them with the care 
in the worthiness of them being a part of God's people. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if, repent, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, turn to you and turns to you seven times. Right? It's this idea that our, our relationship with each other demands because of who we are in Christ, because of the house of God. Well, next week we'll look at that. And the way our words, right? We might say, what does this have to do with a frivolous person? Well, next week we'll look at that. This is death for a frivolous person. It's amazing how many people just are more committed to their jobs than they are to the house of God. That should not be the case. Now, you have, to, you have to work it out. It doesn't mean that you're going to be more in church. Than in the, no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is an attitude of heart that when we deal with the people of God, we should take it up a notch because of Jesus Christ. Right? Right? I mean, it, it's amazing. I, I will not be late. I will not be late to the service. Why am I not going to be late? Because this is the most holy service. Right? Now I might get into an accident. I might come late. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this lackadaisical attitude that oftentimes we treat each other, don't respond back. We treat each other like we're common. We're not common. We are, if you belong to Christ, you have been set apart for God, exclusive you, and my dealings with you have to be accordingly. Amen? And I know it's hard because some people we don't like, some people, you know, whatever. But, but God will work it out. God will help us to care and to love. We won't do this perfectly. Forget about that. You're not going to do it perfectly. And if you think you have, you, you probably drop down like 600 notches. <laughs> You're deceived. But we can make progress. And God is really dealing. What is the most holy? What are, what are the two spheres? What is holy and what is common? Learn to distinguish between the two. And what is holy? The temple. And who is the temple? It's not dignity, honor, and respect. You, amen? Father, put this word in my heart. I remember saying last night, oh, I'm going to stay up. We want to ask you to forgive us for the way we treated each other. For failing to distinguish between the holy and the common. I'm not impressed at all with the way I love your people. I am not impressed at all. And I want you to teach us how to love, how to care for one another. That there would be an aroma of Jesus Christ in our love for each other. That we would love you, Jesus. more than anything else, you have priority in our love, even greater than each other. And out of that love, 
for you flows such rivers and oceans of love for your people. So I pray, O oh God, as we continue to pray for this church and pray that, that somehow by the grace of God, you would, it would be pleasing to you to grant us a glimpse, a small glimpse of heaven here on earth. Be with you just to love one another. But even more importantly, Lord, you teach us to love you. Lord, we, can't, we will never be able to love each other if we don't first love you. Because if we love you, we keep your commandments. And your commandments are that we to love one another. So there you go. So, so Lord, teach us to love you. To be filled with your love. To be filled, oh God, with your goodness. To be satisfied with the goodness of your heart. And so, Lord, I'm asking you today, do a great work in our hearts and build your church. That's why I love that song that we sang. I just sense, Lord, you are building your church. You are doing something. And so we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that we can, Lord, um, have hope in the work of Christ through the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Father. I'm gonna, I want to sing that song before we leave. Um, Abby, you can come. I'm going to sing that song, Build Your Church. And um, we'll continue next week. And I trust God is speaking to, you know, I, I put the Lord speaking to me. I wasn't sure that um, who... But I know he was speaking to me. And um, so I just wanted to just speak on this topic of the church. And Let's stand on our feet. And as we sing this song, you can close your eyes and um, just talk to the Lord. And let, let's, um, let's ask God to... Really do a great work. And not just for yourself, but for the church. Amen. On Christ alone. Our chief cornerstone, no other foundation can we build upon. Not philosophy, nor the wisdom of men, all other ground.
alive, raised up from the dead, let captivity captive, it is finished, he gave us the keys, his authority, now we are joining
Hallelujah, Lord God, we give you praise, oh God. Oh God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. There are these wonderful realities, Lord, we want to grow deep, um, just governed by truth. Not by your truth, Lord, that the things that we, that we would be gripped by the things that are most important. Too often times, Lord, we, we live our lives in what is trivial in comparison to these great eternal truths and pillars of the truth. And we spend so much time in things that do not profit. I pray, oh God, that this week you would enable us all as a church, Lord, to pray for each other. That there would be an increasing passion and a Lord, a love that transcends, oh God. Lord, right now we're living in a, in a world that's so divided between black and white and Asian and all this. There is no solution apart from Jesus Christ, Lord. There's absolutely none. All of it is, a, it will end up in a loss. But with your spirit in us, oh God, we can and we will become one. We are one. But now we pray that you would unfold it every day more and more in our lives. And that we would really, Lord, just learn to be, Lord, learn how to conduct ourselves in the house of God, how to behave. Lord, we want to pray for each other. We want to, Lord, bear each other in our hearts throughout the week. And do it by the Spirit of God. Let it not be motivated by the flesh. Let it not be motivated by the pride and the flesh always tries to get in the way but let it be birth of the spirit oh god a true love jesus for each other true compassion a dignity and a respect worthy of the name of christ and so i pray a blessing upon each and every one of us that we would delight in you and delight in the object of your affection your church and that we truly would be satisfied with the goodness of your house Teach us all the different ways that we are we have blind spots, the way, things that we do carelessly that dishonor one another, things that we do, Lord, that um, maybe even become a stumbling block for others, things that hinder, God, the goodness of the house, unbelief, criticisms, gossips, divisions. I pray, oh God, that you would, um, you know these things, Lord, that, Lord, that you would uproot them. Lord, we're all bent on on gossiping and criticizing we're all bent on seeing the bad side of someone lord and, and so we pray that all these things you would just set us free and that truly love the love that covers a multitude of sin would just invade our hearts and so thank you for this body we will we will press on we are going to believe you jesus for increases of love increases of devotion increases of just unity as this, Lord, as you see fit and as it pleases you. And so thank you for all that you've done today. Bless your people as they go home. Fill them with the joy of the Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Have a great day. Amen. We'll be at Worship Lounge tonight if you want to join us.
here, but it, it works. It, you know. Okay, because I, I couldn't tell if I used the right one, because I know we do this twice. Yeah. So maybe I miscounted. I just stayed with the first one. Yeah, it's just sometimes hard to know. It sounds the same. Yeah, it's just.